Hi, this is Dave from Do It With Dave. I'm a former overweight, unhealthy, and stressed out criminal defense attorney who at age 60 left that life behind and instead chose a life of health, happiness, and fitness. And today at age 75, yes, that's right, age 75, I am in by far the best physical mental, and emotional shape of my life. If I can completely transform myself by rewiring my brain and rebuilding my body, so can you. So follow along with doitwithdave.com for my daily tips, weekly podcasts, videos, and blogs to begin your journey to dramatically improve your life using small steps that can produce big results. Before we begin this new episode, I'd like to take a minute or two to bring to you some additional information on the past two episodes, which subject matter were both concerning stress. It's my intent during these podcasts to bring you the most up-to-date news and information. Since the time I published the first episode on stress last week, I came upon yesterday an interesting article whose subject matter is diet and stress. Though I didn't mention diet as being a cause of stress because of, of a lack of definitive findings, there is some trending evidence that good nutrition can reduce levels of cortisol, the leading cause of stress in our bodies. Reading from one of several diet and health newsletters, I've, in this case called Environmental Nutrition, June 2018 edition, the following article by Denise Webb, a PhD and registered dietitian. Several blogs and websites claim that with the right diet, you can eat your stress away. So is that true? Well, not exactly. Although good nutrition and a healthy lifestyle can reduce levels of cortisol, a steroid hormone that the body produces in response to stress. The more life stresses you experience, the more cortisol your body produces. It's all a natural response, but a constant release of cortisol can have dire health consequences including weight gain, elevated blood sugar, high blood pressure, and gastrointestinal problems. Seniors, athletes, and people who are overworked are most at risk for exposure to high cortisol. While diet isn't a cure for high cortisol, research suggests that nutrition may play a role in managing levels in the body. Research has found that dietary changes, if maintained over the long term, can have a direct effect on the metabolism of cortisol. Specifically, a low-carbohydrate diet can cause spikes in cortisol to linger in the blood and negatively affect your health. Any diet that counts carbs could affect cortisol levels. A study published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism found that it didn't matter the diet was high or medium on fat. 
It was the low carbohydrate count that caused the cortisol level to stay high. Another study found that cutting calories increased the level of cortisol, no matter the source of the calories. The researchers suggest that dieting and calorie counting are stressful in themselves, which can cause cortisol's levels to go up and promote weight gain, as opposed to the desired effect of weight loss. So in order to control your cortisol through diet, this is what has been suggested in this article. In your diet, include a lot of vitamin-rich fruits and vegetables, which of course are carbohydrates. Eat fish rich in omega-3 at least twice a week. Eat whole grains such as brown rice in place of white rice. Eat more beans and lentil. And most surprising, it says right here, don't diet. Don't diet, that's right, don't diet. Considering how many low-carb diets there are out there, these studies and any additional ones bear watching. Maybe losing weight shouldn't be your only concern if in doing so you increase your stress levels by the production of more cortisol linked to the limitation of carbohydrates, especially fruits and vegetables in your diet. So again, this is an example how small steps can lead to big and better results. Eat healthier without restricting the types of food your body needs to function. Developing a well-rounded eating lifestyle may be more important and healthier than a quick weight loss diet. So today's topic of discussion is the heart is a muscle. How many out there listening to this podcast knew that? Let's have a show of hands. I'd say about 75% of you. Very good. <clears throat> the heart is known as a muscle, and by some could be considered the strongest of the some 650 muscles in the body. It's known medically as the myocardium or cardiac muscle. It makes up the wall of the heart and is responsible for the forceful contractions of the heart. Smooth muscles make up the walls of the arteries. During the average lifetime, the heart muscle is responsible for some 3 billion beats. Interesting, when I was thinking about the subject matter of this podcast, I had my iTunes playing to relax my thought process. Sometimes I use music instead of meditation to quiet my mind. In this instance, instead of listening to one of my favorites, Porsche Bell, I accidentally clicked on the following song, which I would like to share a portion with you now. Is a muscle now. 
That was a pretty good song by a group called Gang of Youths. The heart is a muscle. Keep it strong. I don't believe I've ever heard another muscle in the body have a song written about it and the need to keep it strong. What sort of promoted this episode yesterday? I noticed that my sink was draining slower than normal. I needed some Drano to get it going again, otherwise the water would have continually backed up and the pipes would not be able to drain and carry away the sink water. A cardiovascular system is like a drain that functions in a similar manner. It allows your heart to pump and distribute rich oxygenated blood throughout your body. When this delivery system gets clogged up in your heart and in your arteries, your blood can't circulate properly. Your heart starts to pump harder to get the blood flowing through increasingly narrow arteries. Your blood pressure raises as greater pressure is applied to maintain some sort of vital flow of blood throughout your body in and out of the heart. The cause of this need to pump harder is the buildup of plaque. The plaque sticks to the walls of your arteries, hardens so blood flow is restricted, and narrows the entrances and exits of the blood in and out of your heart particularly the left ventricle, which is your pumping station. As the buildup of plaque continues, you will soon develop the commonly diagnosed disease called arterial sclerosis. In the brain, this disease, along with hypertension, here is that stress popping up again, are the leading causes of stroke, and in the heart, the leading causes of a heart attack. This plaque that develops often originates from high levels of LDL cholesterol in our body, as well as fatty deposits and other unhealthy materials in the body, often associated with poor diet, as well as a lack of exercise. So what can we do to prevent this narrowing of our arteries that leads to arterial sclerosis, which is our major cause of heart attack and often causes ends in death. One of the tried and true methods of preventing buildup of plaque and what can follow is to keep that blood flowing. One of the best and most common ways is aerobic exercises. Aerobic meaning oxygen, which is your basic walking, running, swimming, hiking, bike riding. All these type of exercises in various degrees have been known to stimulate the heart, increase blood flow, and thus restricting the formation of plaque. For instance, walking at a faster rather than a slower or more moderate rate pumps the blood faster as it builds up your heart rate. But keep in mind, you don't have to run or walk fast to get a cardio benefit. Even doing these exercises at a slow pace has much greater benefits than not doing them at all. While we have always known about the benefit of aerobic exercises for the heart, it's really only recently that we've begun to discover the heart also benefits from anaerobic or non-oxygen, or what we call weight-trading exercises. Specifically, weight training or aerobic exercises 
have been shown to have unique effects on blood pressure and limb blood flow. In other words, it opens up the blood flow even more than aerobic training, as well as increases the blood flow to the limbs, especially because of its ability to increase blood flow to activate muscles. Resulting studies indicate weight training should be a valuable companion to aerobic training. This is believed to be of great benefit, especially to women in their struggles against osteoporosis, as a much higher percentage of women suffer from this condition than men. So what type of weight training exercise will work? Almost all strength training exercises will do. An example of this would be a deadlift, in which a great amount of energy is exerted over a short period of time. Besides exercise, what else can we do to keep your heart healthy? Let's start with eating healthy. You eat clean by getting rid of foods that are high in saturated fats, trans fats, and in general foods that introduce a high amount of bad cholesterol into your body. Studies have shown that you are more than 50% more likely to have a cardiovascular disease and a heart attack if you don't eat healthy. Number two, cut down on the salt, cleverly listed as sodium by the food industry. Too much salt for you is life-threatening. First thing it does is raise your blood pressure. And if you're already on blood pressure medication, it could likely limit the effectiveness of your medication. The rise in blood pressure that salt brings on can lead to a heart attack, strokes, as well as other medical diseases. Be particularly aware of processed foods and the amount of salt they contain. Number three, get yourself tested. A cholesterol test would be vital to maintain one's heart health. High cholesterol, as we all know by now, damages the heart in so many ways. Perhaps medication, including an aspirin regime, would help here, as well as living a healthier lifestyle. There are also new tests to determine heart health. See my medical records posted on my website. One of these records is a heart enzyme test that will tell you your likelihood of a heart attack over the next five years. My test results, which I attribute to a healthy lifestyle, show a risk factor of a heart attack well below the norm for my age due to exercise and being mindful of what I eat. This does not mean I don't eat ice cream, which I do three or four times a week, or I don't occasionally indulge in my favorite pastries, which again I do at least once a week. Starting at age 75, you can likely be eligible for this test that can be paid for by Medicaid. Ask your doctor again. Number four, quit smoking. Do I really have to explain this one as far as health benefits are concerned? Five, drink more water. Your heart is constantly pumping about 2,000 gallons of blood a day. It needs help. By drinking more water than you're losing, in other words, keeping your body hydrated, you make it easier for your heart to pump these 2,000 gallons. 
Drink all day long, at least 64 fluid ounces during the course of a day. Number six, stay positive. Think positively to reduce stress. Stress is a major risk for heart attack and stroke. Listen to my recent two episodes, number 17 and 18, on stress. For more information on the effects of stress and tips on how to deal with it. Number seven, maintain a healthy weight. Even if you take off 10 to 20 pounds, you will substantially lower your risk of a heart attack. Overweight people have heart attacks on an average eight years earlier. Remember, you want to keep your heart pumping in an effortless manner as possible. We need to pay attention to our heart before it clogs up. This is Dave with another episode of Do It With Dave. See you next time.